Now, what's great about the expertise that you guys have and the experience that you've been through, you know that there's a possibility that that conversation may be coming down the line. And so you actually negotiate that into the process ahead of time, namely, you know, or to the tune of right on the back end of when you've come in the door. And so something to the effect of, if we find other issues that we know are going to be long-term problems for you while we're here, do you want us to keep those issues to ourselves? Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you here on a new week. And man, do we have a great episode scheduled for you today. We are talking about negotiations and we have on the podcast Brandon Voss with the Black Swan Group. And we are going to just be hitting him up for some great insight on what it means to be in the home discussing negotiations with a homeowner. Before we jump into that, we're going to introduce the idea here, and we have a quote from Brian. He who has learned to disagree without being disagreeable has discovered the most valuable secret of negotiations. Chris Voss. Yeah, not to be mistaken with Brandon, who's our guest, but Chris is his father. He has written uh, books, including Never Split the Difference, uh, which is a great book to read. Make sure you check that one out. And he is also in part of the uh, Black Swan Group as well and part of the, uh, the whole concept of what they're doing there. The Black Swan Group is an organization that specializes not only in training hostage negotiators, but it's also taking that over onto the sales side to talk about what that looks like in negotiating deals or, or uh, brokering with homeowners, those types of things. So really interesting guest and we're really excited to have him on. Yeah, they're, I believe mostly, if not all in the private sector now, but I've, I've uh, heard of heard like them talking in podcasts and stuff about training FBI hostage negotiators and law enforcement and stuff like that. But I believe they're mostly in the private sector training uh, negotiators in the corporate world and, and salespeople. Um, so we thought it'd be a good idea to have Brandon on because he is the president of the black Swan group at this point and, and just talk about what that looks like from a service tech role, what that looks like in our world. Because a lot of the time we hear kind of the same things from the same trainers. That Not that that's a bad thing because we have, frankly, I think in, in some of the people we've even had on this podcast, the, the trainers in our industry are some of the most professional, thought out, uh, overall best presentation trainers that exist today. Um, but this is a completely different version of that. And I just... I'm a big fan of Brandon and Chris, his dad, and Derek Gaunt, who's, uh, I believe, a partner with them in the Black Swan Group. And I'm um, um, in their newsletter. And actually, Nate and I ran across Chris Voss talking about his book at the Global Leadership Summit. That's right. Yep. It was, what, 2019? Yeah. And his book, Never Split the Difference, uh, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It, 
is just the well, I'll, I'll read it. A former FBI top hostage negotiator's field-tested tools for talking anyone into or out of just about anything. <laughs> nice. So it's, it's, you know, it's meant for good, but obviously becoming a, a very crafty negotiator could get you in trouble as well. But in, in this episode, hopefully we only talk about the good things, but, but our intention here is to just approach the kitchen table from a slightly different angle than we normally do. That's right, Brian. And it, it really is uh, odd, you might say, uh, of the number of things that work in both the hostage negotiation scene as well as the homeowner negotiation scene. Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with somebody who may be unreasonable, at least to start. They may have expectations or demands that are not even within your control to provide. Uh, you know, uh, I, I want a, a jet fully fueled with, uh, uh, you know, a, a pilot and everything to take me to another country, or I want you to do all the plumbing in my house for free, right? Neither of those is a reasonable expectation. They're probably not going to happen. You're certainly not in control of making them happen in most situations. And so you're, you're trying to figure out your way through this conversation. And that's where the power of the negotiation and specifically the way that, that Brandon is, uh, you know, talks about it specifically how he adapts and, and reads the client, those types of things that we hope to get into is what makes the difference because it's, it, it's a unique person who can stand in front of conflict and know how to handle it. We've talked about this on the podcast before conflict or dealing with a homeowner. It, it's a dynamic situation. You're never sure what's coming back at you. You swing with your left. They're going to duck with their, you know, duck under it, swing with the right. You're not sure. And so you have to be trained not only in the ways to respond, but in also even seeing it coming, seeing it coming before it happens. And that's really when the power of uh, strong negotiation starts to dig in. Yeah, I can't stress enough what a difference in my, in my view of the table or selling or negotiations this book has made. It, it really made me see so many things differently. I would say it was more impactful than anything I've read in the last 10 years on that subject because I have read and studied, I mean, almost everything there is out there and starting way back at, you know, in the in the early 2000s, early in my career with Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and, and working my way up, I've never missed an opportunity to read a book or listen to an audio book on selling. This one, this one was a pretty big game changer for me and I, I really can't stress enough that Everybody who's in any kind of selling situation needs to, I don't know, go to Amazon, go to Audible, get the get the audio book. If you're if you're a tech in a truck, if you're a CSR and you have time to, you know, pop a headphone in, download the audio copy of this book and get through it. It's not very long at all. I think it's maybe like six, seven hours, something like that. It's well worth the listen and probably listen three or four times. And I actually recommend you you listening to this episode more than one time because I have specific questions I'm going to ask Brandon. I, I kind of know what some of the answers are based on having read these books and listened to these guys and I'm in, in some of their groups on social media. Um, but it's going to be some really thick stuff that's really profound and it's going to take more than, than one time to digest it. Yeah. And so without further ado, we're going to jump right into it and introduce our guest, Brandon Voss. 
Our guest today is Brandon Voss. He is an expert trainer, coach, and the thought leader behind negotiator personality types. In addition to leading up corporate training, Brandon manages the behind the scenes of the business. Ever since he was a kid, Brandon has had a strong work ethic, and as soon as he was old enough to pick up a shovel and use a hammer, Brandon started working with his grandfather, an entrepreneur who worked at as, as a gas delivery middleman and owned and operated several convenience stores. When he was 14, Brandon opened his own yacht detailing business, and he ran that until he was 19, overseeing a crew of five workers during that time. Brandon credits his grandfather with the entrepreneurial spirit that has always seemed to be in his blood. After that, Brandon made the leap to sales, working for Macy's and retail sales before joining Verizon for business-to-business sales. Based on his experience and extensive experience with various selling approaches, Brandon has been instrumental in adapting the FBI's hostage negotiation techniques to the business world. Realizing that the timetable is different in the business world than it is in the world of high-stake hostage negotiation, he created the short game, a needs assessment procedure that helps in the critical discovery process phase of negotiation. In addition to training clients, Brandon has served as a guest lecturer at places such as USC Marshall School of Business and Georgetown's McDonough School of Business and at Policy Innovators in Education Network Functions. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Brandon. Brian, Nate, it is my distinct pleasure to be with you two gentlemen today. Happy to be here. The pleasure's all on this side, Brandon. We, we've had uh, quite an eclectic group of um, guests on, but we have not had somebody who actually trains hostage negotiators. <laughs> all right. Okay. I, you know, I'm happy to break the mold on that a little bit. <laughs> awesome. We're happy for you to break it. Pretty small pool there. so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Not a lot of competition. <laughs> Yeah, man. Hey, we'd love to learn a little bit about our guests, just uh, their background and history, what you got in or how you got into what you're doing now and where you came from. So why don't you give us a little bit of a preview? Sure, sure. So um, uh, leaving college, I got into sales right away. I knew I liked dealing with people and, um, you know, the sales process has always been fun to me. You know, this, this idea of influence and sharing of information that's pertinent. And so I, I did a uh, Retail sales with Macy's when I first started there, low level. I was at the men's shoe department at Montgomery County Mall in Maryland, and I actually really enjoyed that job. And then uh, I did um, business-to-business software and technology sales for Verizon. And when I started at the bottom of that, that totem pole, I had a territory in Northern Virginia that I was working every day, you know, on foot. Outside in the heat in the suit, going door to door, you know, getting past no solicitation signs and things like that. And those, uh, cutting my teeth in those two places early on, um, there's experiences that I got there that I wouldn't trade for anything. But probably what I'm most proud of, uh, my first business that I started when I was 14, uh, detailing uh, motor yachts in the D.C. area at the waterfront. Um, learned a lot doing that, had a crew of five that, that worked with me, and, and there's experiences I gained there from the people I met and who I got to network with that I, I, I mean, I wouldn't trade that for anything. How, how do you get started? That's that's an awesome way to start a career at 14, you said? Yeah. How, yeah. Do, you, how do you get started in something like that? Do you just offer your cert or do you wash a boat, and then all of a sudden you're just getting word of mouth, or do you walk around the docks offering services to all the, the yacht owners, or how does that work? You know, it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of everything. You know, one of the nice things about um, being in any sort of marina community 
it is it is very much a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business, right? I mean, it's you know, it's we're we're all connected. And so when you start washing one boat, you instantly become an advertisement in the marina. And then everybody gets a chance to walk by that boat and see how good of a job you did, and talk to the owners and get some feedback on you. And so it's a great way to get the word of mouth started. And I'd say where where really where it really starts. Just like anything else in life, anything in our professional or personal lives, starts with attitude. And um, I, I cannot say that I gained that attitude necessarily on my own. My grandfather, Chris's father, um, he was an entrepreneur also. And when I started visiting them in the summertime, my grandparents, at the age of about six, my grandfather put me to work. And so I technically had my first job when I was six years old. And so some of the some of the work ethic and the the stick-to-itiveness and the drive to uh, have your own cash in your pocket, right? All of that factors into <laughs> figuring out how to how to uh, make money washing and detailing boats for sure. Absolutely, I'm guessing you were the uh, the Verizon salesman with the best shoes too, right? <laughs> you know, interestingly, no, I'd say I had the best sneakers because I was I was out. <laughs> in a suit during the day and I didn't want to have on, you know, the hard soled shoes. So I'd have very fresh sneakers that look good with the suit or the attire that I had on. So I did, there's probably an argument to be made for that, right? Depends <laughs> on, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, our podcast is dedicated to the home services. So we're dealing with plumbers, HVAC, HVAC techs and electricians on a daily basis. And they in turn are dealing with homeowners uh, and, mm -hmm. and this is in-home services. So we're not over-the-counter sales or any of that type of stuff. We are literally in somebody's house looking at a problem, uh, a situation that is most likely going wrong. Or sometimes we're there to do maintenance and just preventative types of things. And so maybe nothing is going wrong, uh, but we want to talk about what could go wrong. And so there's many points of conversation and in turn negotiations that come about simply mm -hmm. in our line of business. So we are super excited to dive into that topic with you. Yeah, no, I, I am as well. And, and, I, and I will admit, you guys, I'm not telling you something you guys don't already know, but it's a very, it's such a unique space that you guys are in because in a homeowner's mind, you fall into the category of general contractor, yes. right? Which is just like a, a step or two above a used car salesman. And no matter how decent of a human being you are and how much you genuinely want to help the people you work with, no matter what, you still got to deal with the hurdle of being seen as a cutthroat general contractor at some level. And that in itself is, is you know, that's an obstacle that not many people have to see at the negotiation table before they've even opened their mouth up. And you guys got to deal with that hurdle every day. So I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very interesting what you guys are in. That's, that's actually true on two fronts. You, you have in one way you sit down and you present your estimate or what have you, and then they're immediately thinking, how can I find a cheaper estimate or how can I get him to, <laughs> how can I get him to cut all the profit out of his estimate or, and then on the other hand, you have, maybe we just show up for, say a, a toilet that's clogged and we unclog that toilet. But you know, our techs are certainly trained to look around and, and make sure everything else in the house is in good shape. So if I find you have, you know, we got, got the toilet working, but you have really hard water. I might talk to you about potentially installing a water softener. We can get all this scum off your shower doors and make your dishes clear and your hair, you know, mama's hair softer and the clothes softer, use less soap and 
make your appliances last longer. But inevitably down that road, you have, okay, he, you're just supposed to fix my toilet. And now you want to, you know, use car <laughs> exactly. now you're gouging me. Yep, now you're exactly. gouging. I had a toilet problem. Now all of a sudden I got a hardened water problem because you showed up. <laughs> like what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, let's, let's start, let's get into this things. I mean, uh, talk to us about your specialty and the business that you're in currently, and then let's dive into it with the home services. Sure. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an instructor and success coach, uh, with black Swan and my, my real specialty lends itself to understanding negotiator types. And another way to put that is how certain human beings naturally react to conflict, right? What is the default mode that a person will retreat to as a result of a conflicting situation, right? And then how does that inform you as an influencer if you're dealing with this person? I'd say a lot of it lends to that, lends itself to that. And of course, consistent content development on behalf of Black Swan and this, this tactical empathy approach that we do. But I, I love the negotiator types. It's something I could, I could, I could talk about that for a week. <laughs> well, we're, we'll be here for a week if you will. So <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, and I think you just used the term there, tactical empathy. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Tactical empathy. So describe that for us. What is that? Sure. So in, in a nutshell, uh, the definition of tactical empathy is the calibrated application of emotional intelligence. And if you want to add a little bit to that, you know, through the use of active listening, but I, I personally do not like the term active listening. So this calibrated, calibrated application of emotional intelligence, and it really boils down to not only being completely in tune with someone else's perspective, which is a hard thing to do. You know, tactical empathy is not easy, but to be completely in tune with someone else's perspective and then being able to describe it for them. That's really what this calibrated application of emotional intelligence is about. Emotional intelligence is all predicated on being acutely aware of how someone has come to a decision based on the way that their emotional mixture is made up, right? You can, it's, it's like a reverse engineer, right? You want, you want it for a hundred dollars, but can I reverse it engineer all the way back to the emotions that were caused when you were 10 years old that have led you to here now where you want a hundred dollars to get your, you know, your, your toilet unclogged as opposed to one fifty, right? It, it literally goes back that far. And so, being able to get in touch with it and then verbally describe it. That's the second piece that's really hard, right? You want $100 for this because when you were 10 years old, you learned from your grandfather that never take a contractor at the first price they give you, right? Or whatever it is, right? Whatever cliche or emotional piece that comes with that, that their grandfather taught them that they'll always remember, right? And that's actually what allows us to gain uh, for lack of a better term, leverage through the course of influence and through the communication process. Ooh, that sounds pretty deep there. I, I think some of our listeners just uh, asked if they're supposed to get their psychology degree before they continue on listening here. <laughs> so I, and we're dealing, you know, we're dealing with homeowners for sure. And I mean, what you just described there makes a ton of sense. We talk a lot about empathy. We talk a lot about putting yourself in their shoes. 
But the tactical empathy there, I think, is is another level. It's a, something a little bit more and further than what we've been describing, even in previous episodes or trainings that we've done. So we'll kind of walk this out, what that might look like in the actual home. So you have a, a person whose air conditioner is not working right now, and they're upset because they're hot, they're sweating, and we walk in there and we're supposed to be fixing it. Where do we go from there? Yeah, great. That's a that's a great example. Great setup. So <clears throat> this is this is one of the probably the most difficult parts in the use of the tactical empathy is the very beginning. And so whenever we come into a negotiation, we assume that we are starting from zero. Everybody's on even playing fields, right? Like we, we haven't talked before. You know what we do. We know what you do. You're the homeowner that's supposed to pay us. And we're the guys that are coming in to fix the problem. We're all on evil playing, even playing ground, and then we start from here. That notion is actually false. And communicating from a place of we are starting at zero is one of the first problems, especially who you are and the reason that you guys came into the home in the first place. You are actually starting in the negative. And the reason I say that is because all the emotions towards you from the homeowners are probably bad. Absolutely. And to assume that they're good actually puts us behind the eight ball. And so you come in assuming that their feelings towards you are all bad and you make it a point to address all of those negatives up front. And so something to the tune of, I'd imagine you guys hate having strangers come in your house fixing problems that you shouldn't have in the first place. You know, I'm sure you get sick of having to deal with contractors. And you're probably worried about what we might want to upsell you on before we leave, right? All that stuff is in their head before you even come in the door. And if we don't address it immediately, we're the ones who look like the idiot. Because in the homeowner's mind, it's like, how could you not see that we don't like general contractors? How could you not see how much of a pain it is for us to have you guys here on a Saturday? We should be relaxing, watching Netflix and our air condition, but instead I'm talking to you and watching you bent over in front of my HVAC, you know, machine, getting the things fixed when I should be watching TV with my wife, right? Especially right? All that's in their mind, yeah. Especially when we're the one who fixed it a month ago or something like that. These things happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like then you're really, you're really starting from the negative. If you've had another, if there's been another representative from your entity that they saw in the last 30 days, right? You guys know that that stuff's coming. And that's where influence really starts. And you can verbalize the understanding of how it makes that homeowner feel before you even came through the doorway. Is this what you and uh, Chris and Derek call the accusation audit? This is one of the places where the accusations audit would fit. Nice catch. That's exactly right. This is one of the places where the accusations audit would fit. And so to define it for our listeners here a little bit, the accusations audit is a verbalization of all the negative accusations that your counterpart has against you at, from the very beginning, right? Things that you haven't necessarily caused, but they're already in existence. Just some, some preconceived notions floating around in their head. Preconceived notions is a really good way to put it. We really like the term accusation specifically because everybody knows what an audit is and everybody knows what an accusation is. And so if you're auditing all of those preconceived notions or accusations, then it gives you a chance to diffuse them before they can hurt you during the conversation. So is that kind of like the eight mile takeaway, like the, the movie? 
You familiar with that? Eight Mile, yes. Yeah, yeah so for those of you that are familiar with the Eight Mile Eminem movie, at the very end, the freestyle rap battle at um, at the spot, I forget the name of it in the movie, where they go and they do all their little freestyle battles in Detroit. That is a perfect example of an accusation. So I'm right, I'm a... I'm going to tell him everything you got to say against me, exactly. right? And then he just goes on and on and on. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. I'm, I'm from Detroit, so we try to throw that in wherever we can, even though I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania <laughs> now. But what, what Eminem did was he, he he knew all these things that Papa Doc, the other rapper, was going to say against him. I'm, you know, this, I'm that, I'm, I'm poor white trash, I'm in a trailer home with my mom or whatever. Um, and then Eminem rapped all these things and then attacked Papa Doc. So when he got on the stage to rap against Eminem, he had, any, he had no ammo. Is that essentially what that's, you're doing with the accusations audit? That's what it does to people. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. When you verbalize all those negative things that they're going to use as weapons against you or to harm you or to try to disprove why your price is so much, Right when you get out in front of all those things ahead of time, not only does it mitigate them, but it also takes away their permission to use them again. Because it's I, I am showing that I have the wherewithal of the environment that we're both dealing with. That I know that this is what you're thinking, and then from their point of view, it's well, I I can't beat you over the head with it because you have enough common sense to realize that this is a problem for me. And you've realized it so perfectly that you were able to verbalize it without me having to say anything. Right. And that's what it does to people mentally. So I'm not going to beat you over the head over last month. You know, the guy who was here last month because you ain't him. And you already told me that I was upset because I saw you guys 30 days ago. So there's nothing left for me to say. You already stated it. You've taken away that defense from me altogether. So, yeah, it's a great way to put it. Okay, so uh, let's say we do that, and, and I think it's certainly going to take the wind out of the client's sails a little bit, but the emotions are still there, right? They're still hot, they're still sweating, and it's still your fault. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what, what's really interesting about that is exactly what you just said is one of, a, one of the really good ways to put a nice bow on your accusations audit. You can see all these negative things last month and you shouldn't have to deal with this on Sunday. And you know what? Despite the fact that I said all these things doesn't change that you're hot and you're upset and you're wishing you didn't have to deal with this at all. Like if that's not a perfect summation of exactly what's going on in their brain, I don't know what it is, but that's a, that's a great way to put it. Cause that's what they're thinking. Yeah. The fact that I said all this doesn't actually change a thing. That is in fact true in their mind and yours. And it's much easier to respect your position when you have the ability to state it instead of acting like it isn't true. Yeah. Okay. So where do we go from there then? Because we, we've now at least introduced the fact that we're both aware of the frustration in the room. Where's the mm -hmm, next step? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's circumstance drives your strategy. It's one of the things we always say when it comes to tactical empathy. And so based on this case, that circumstance is going to be driven by the counterparty. And so you've laid all of this out in your accusations audit. They're going to come back with one of three things as a response. You're either going to say, like, no, 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 you guys are being too hard on yourselves. Uh, you know, it's really, it's not that bad. We're just happy you guys are here now, right? Like, guys, too bad we didn't get it done last month. We're glad you're here, right? You're going to have about a handful of people. I'd, I'd be willing to say about a third of the people that you deal with 
are going to respond to your accusations of that way. No, 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 not, you know, not at all. Uh, you guys are, you know, I appreciate you saying that. Glad you're here. You know, no big deal, right? Let's move on. Then you're going to have another set of responses <clears throat> where they might, in fact, agree with you. Like, yeah, you know what? That's right, right? The, the, the people that are, that are still heated, that are still cranked up. That's right. We do feel that way. It should have been done last month. That is part of those, those individuals. That's part of their process of dealing with the emotion. And so the fact that you triggered that as a result is not a bad thing. It's easy to interpret that moment as a bad thing. Like, oh, we said the accusations ought to Brandon told us about, and now he's really mad. <laughs> the data we're ignoring is he's about, he's about 10 notches down from where he would be if we hadn't have done the audit. Mm. Yeah. And that's the data we're ignoring. And then the other part of that is chances are this person's an assertive. And they just need to get this off their chest, venting and being able to just verbally vomit the stuff that's, that's top of mind for them is part of their process of dealing with conflict. And so the fact that you triggered that, not only have you, have you opened up a relief valve, but they're going to they're gonna run out of steam. And it leaves you in a perfect place to say your follow-up of clearly there's something I missed here or it sounds like there's other issues that we have failed to be sensitive to. And now you're just readdressing the same emotional moment and allowing them to go, oh, you know what? Nah, I, you know, I said my piece. Why don't you guys just get to work, right? I, I said what I had to say. Appreciate you guys coming out here. Go ahead and get to work. But you got to ride the train out, right? There is no silver bullet. There is no magical fairy dust. You have to engage in the whole process. And you got to understand that depending on who you're dealing with, the process might be a little painful for a minute, but that's part of the journey. And then you got another one that they just might go silent on. They might sit there and just stare at you. And you're almost wondering if they heard you at all, right? You almost want to say like, uh, excuse me, sir, ma'am, did, did you hear what I said, right? Because there's this like weird awkwardness in the moment. Now, what's great about that moment is it's part of the process, again, for this particular individual, and you got to sit in that awkwardness. The thing where we screw up is we get this awkwardness and we want to feel like, oh, I said the wrong thing. Let me keep talking to try to fix the ground that I've screwed up this far. And it's, again, it's a misinterpretation of the data. If you haven't screwed anything up, you are now actively engaged in their process. Circumstance drives the strategy. They're processing right now. They need to be silent and stare at you because that's part of what they do naturally. And so instead of filling the silence, you actually got to give them space to think. And so the answer there is count to 21,000. Just keep counting until they jump in. Uh, just and to they, clarify, they're, they're gonna, that was 21,000, yeah. not 21,000. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, 20, 20, yes, two zero. Good, good, good point here. Maybe two 21 zero, Mississippi. 1,000. Yeah, 21 Mississippi, right? Somewhere in the ballpark. Okay. But the point is. Let's say, let's say 21 waste no days. How about there that? Go. There you go. 21. I like that, right? Eat the week. <laughs> 21 eat the week. Yeah, no, that's. um. That's what, what the real point is, having the wherewithal to not actually break that silence. And, and what, what is the result? You know, my, my crutch is to count. Well, some of it is they're used to every schmuck they talk to breaking that silence and trying to interrupt their thought process. 
So the first thing you're showing is I'm not like every other schmuck that you've spoken to. Because I'm not going to break the silence and try to make up for it with flattery and compliments. Oh, you got a wonderful home, right? Like now, now you're switching gears. You're trying to make up ground. You got a beautiful home. How long have you guys lived in this house, right? Now you're completely off topic and you're talking about crap that doesn't matter. And you're building a common ground thing that, that isn't really applicable for the moment. And so some of it is, I'm not the same schmuck that you're used to dealing with. Some of it is also, I can tell Mr. or Mrs. Client that you actually need this silence to think. And I'm going to respect you enough right now to give you that space to do so. And we convey that entire message without actually saying any words because of the circumstance that's driving our strategy. Now, just questioning and there. So those, would, those are two big things for rapport. Would it be okay <clears throat> to actually say, hey, listen, I, it looks like you might need some time to process this. Uh, I'm here to you know, give you that time. Like, is it okay to talk about that? Or are you literally saying no words? Interesting, interesting question. I'm really glad you brought that up. And so I will follow up with, that's not bad. It's going to depend, right? And so if, if, if we're still sticking to initial accusations audit just came in the door, for that moment, probably not. Now, if you're doing the accusations audit because you fixed the toilet and now you got to have the conversation about the hard water, and you're going to want to leave in with an accusations audit there too. You know what? I'm sure this is going to probably upset you. It's going to make you feel like that we, we came in and found other problems to, to, to make you spend more money, right? Like things along those lines. And then you finish and you get that silence. And then you might want to follow with, you know what it looks like? You probably need some time to process this because it's very fitting for what's going on in the circumstance. You presented them with a new issue that they're completely surprised by. They're not going to want to answer you right away because everyone knows not to do that with a contractor, right? Probably going to want to talk to their spouse. And so it's very fitting that in that silence, your read becomes, you know what, I'd imagine you want some time to think about this. It looks like we probably caught you off guard a little bit. It's very fitting for the moment. And in that instance, it fits very nicely. Okay, so I think what you've centered on right there is that there's effectively two scenarios that we deal with. One is, you know, the person is already upset when we get there because something's broken, something's not working right. And, and you, you've laid out a really effective strategy to bring them down a level because I think in general, people don't want to be mad, nor can they sustain anger just indefinitely. They're, they're looking to exactly. come down. They're looking for a way to get, get back to normal. And then the other scenario is where a person's not upset, but they may be upset as soon as we bring to their attention uh, something that could be of concern. And that's when you're suggesting that you actually verbalize that type of, hey, looks like you might need some time to process this. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And just to comment on the first thing that you said, that I absolutely love, but everyone actually wants to be back to normal, right? It's hard to maintain anger and it's, and it's just draining on your energy. To your point about if you can be the person that facilitates them getting back to normal, which is where they want to be anyway, it's much easier to trust you. It's one of those really, really kind of subtle things about what it takes to actually build trust and understanding with another human being. It doesn't start with common experiences. It starts with your ability to help me get through 
you know, it starts with your ability to help me think this through and then actually see what I'm looking at. Just because we have common experiences doesn't actually matter, right? Like me, me and me and Hitler might have common experiences. Doesn't mean we're ever going to get along, right? right. For, for obvious reasons. We all have two legs, so. <laughs> exactly right. Everybody's got two legs. Exactly right. But if you can help me facilitate my thought process, it's like, oh, you know what? I can trust this guy because you didn't hit me with a bunch of data that I couldn't use. You didn't try to explain to me why this was a good idea and try to convince me of something different from what I would have been considering anyway. You just sit, simply helped me think it through without any pushback without disregard for my situation. If anything, you, you indicated a tremendous regard for my situation because you can verbalize how upset I've been all week because I've had a broken air conditioner. Just that in itself shows a tremendous amount of prowess on your part as a communicator and genuine respect for what I'm dealing with. We don't realize in negotiation, we go with the data and justifications, kind of like what I'm doing right now. <laughs> you know, it, it, it shows a tremendous amount of arrogance for the person on the other side. And that gets in the way of genuine connection because I'm picking up on your arrogance. I'm not picking up on your abilities that you actually want to help. I'm picking up on you wanting to educate me on something I'm not interested in hearing anyway. Yeah, which takes you the other way, not even neutral. It's pushing you. Yeah, exactly. It pushes you emotionally exactly to the other side of the spectrum, to your point. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's back to the saying, they don't, they don't, uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's it. Yeah. Troy, uh, Troy Smith, one of our, um, instructors and success coaches here at Black Swan, that's one of his favorite lines. And there, there is a lot to that. That is, that is a, it's, it's a very deep cliche as it were. Absolutely. It even saying it, I'm like, I feel cliche saying it, but, but sit, <laughs> sit for 10 seconds listeners. And I implore you to break that down just for a, a 10 waste, no day, if you will. And, uh, just, just think about that saying, what it actually means, and it, it, it's very deep. Yeah, yeah. Very much coincides with the Stephen Covey idea, speak first to understand. And then to be understood, yeah. So let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, you guys train, your team trains on the three negotiator types, and I was wondering if, and, and hoping certainly, that those three negotiator types would um, would um, be would carry over to just you know, sitting across the kitchen table from a couple who's deciding on a certain package of HVAC system or water heater or, you know, electrical panel or generator. Um, those three, those three negotiator types, is that, does that also pertain to the person, to the technician, to us? Does it only pertain to the person we're sitting across from? Do we need to know which type we are? Do we change types? How does that work? Yeah. So uh, in short, all of the above. All, right, All of good. the above is true. <laughs> hey, thanks for calling in today, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. You guys have a great day. Appreciate the time. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, all of those things come in come in as a factor at some level. And so, simply put, our three types are the analyst, the assertive, and the accommodator. And, and uh, to break it down in even more uh, simple uh, matters than that, fight flight or make friends, right? We're all, we're all familiar with this fight or flight uh, mentality. And then we add a third on, on, on making friends. And so the assertive is the fight, right? The aggressive, we're all familiar with the shark, 
the the uh, you know the train coming at us, coming at us down the tracks type of approach. That's the natural assertive. The analyst, the naturalist, the natural analyst is very standoffish, uh, very very cold in a lot of ways as far as their initial approach to you, and even more so, they're very difficult to read. Right, those people that you're like, I don't know what they're thinking. They just sit there still, and they they got this like cold look on their face. Chances are that that's an analyst, right? Very data driven individuals that do not have a lot of interest in human connection, especially when it comes to a negotiation context. Much more focused on data than actually connecting with another human being. And then our third type, the the accommodator, relationship driven, completely focused on human connection. So much so that everything else falls by the wayside. Everything pertaining to us comes secondary to our ability to build a good rapport between one another. So those are kind of like how the three types work. Now where it gets complicated is when you're dealing with couples. And I think you guys have really good feel for this already because just because one of them is an assertive doesn't mean that the other one's an assertive. And the reality is, they may be having trouble agreeing internally as a couple because their negotiator types are so far apart. And that's when the real prowess as a negotiator comes into play is because the facilitation of their ability as a team to make decisions is where the influence actually starts. And so right there, then come to an agreement with us but the actual, um, the root cause of this is they don't function well as a team. Like making decisions as a couple, they don't actually do that that well. And so making a decision with me is going to be difficult uh, for them too. Oh, that's and really so insightful. Of interpreting that as we screwed up, it's how do I help them make a decision better? But yeah, that's, that's where some of that starts. And that, that's hard to see. But that is, in fact, very true. We've all run into married couples that's like, man, I wish they, <laughs> I wish they communicated better. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. We've all seen that, and some of us have experience. You better stop talking about me and my wife, bro. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was trying to be subtle about it, but you know, you you, you said it first. Okay. How the you heck did he know? <laughs> I mean, Brandon, that part's not hard to see. I mean, it it's pretty evident when a husband and wife or whoever it is in front of you, they're not mm-hmm. on the same page, and, and in fact, they may not both be in front of you. One's on the phone, and one's in front of you and you're hearing like half the conversation and you can clearly tell that they're not happy because she wants this and he wants that and he's and, not willing to pay for it and and she's at work and he's texting her that kind of thing we we, we can't even get an idea of who we're dealing with on the other line which makes it even more fun. yeah 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 exactly that 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 definitely the uh the levels of complication just get worse and worse <laughs> Right. So you said your prowess as a negotiator is to be able to first assess that and understand what's going on and then to step into that. So is, is our job to become marriage counselors? Like what do we have to do to actually achieve that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. And, and that's, that's actually not that bad of a way to put it, you know, internally here at black Swan, we actually refer to it as putting people on the couch, right? Okay. Just like, just like you would in a session, psych session. Yeah. And, and some of that is necessary. Like the, the venting aspect of people's decision making, being able to get over some of their, some of their own crap actually comes through venting. And sometimes that needs to be facilitated in the moment. And so, um, they will usually come in the form of 
whatever you'd want to explain to them, you actually put it in question format. And so I'll give a quick example. Like if you're trying to move them on a warranty or some sort of special program so they make sure this doesn't happen again, or you get faster response next time because you're in this program, you won't have to wait a week, we'll have somebody come out right away, right? You might want to explain that to them because that's a beneficial program of value that you know can help them. The problem is explaining is really hard to get through when a couple is at odds that are that bad. And so how do you turn that into a question? What's your plan to make sure that you guys never have to go through this again? What sort of warranties are you currently signed up for to make sure that you never have to wait a week to get this kind of repair? Now, the reality is, you know they're not part of any warranty. You know that they don't have a plan, right? Of course, why would they? But in order to get them to think about it, you have to do it in question format. So I like that, Brandon. But so lay- as, a, yeah. as a homeowner, when you ask me that, like red flags are going off in my head. Oh boy, here we go. You know, because I know that's a designed question to get a certain response. Oh, well, shoot, Brandon, you know, we surely don't have anything like that. Could you tell us more? You know, it, it seems like right. I, I'm falling into your trap. So how, how do you avoid, uh, you know, that type of feeling coming back at you saying like, well, well, before you go anywhere, we don't need any of that stuff. We're good here. It's all, it's all good. Great question. Great question. So this is, this is where we get a little bit more advanced in the application of the skills and this approach to tactical empathy where we get beyond, you know, simple question and answer type things. Now, the next movement up, right, as we would call it, is in the shuha ri phase, and we can get into that, but this idea of, you know, beginning, intermediate, and expert, shuha ri, as we're moving through that process, when you can take a question and turn it into what would be a short audit or a cold read, right, those are kind of interchangeable terms, followed by a verbal observation. That's when we take an explanation, we upgrade it to a question, and then we upgrade it to a cold read plus an actual statement. And so that next upgrade might look something like, you know, this is probably going to make you nervous. I'd imagine that your first thought is going to be, where am I going with this? It sounds like you guys don't have a system in place currently to make sure that you never have to deal with a problem like this for seven days ever again. Well, you know, it's been 21 years and we never had to deal with it until now. So I, I anticipate it'll be another 21 years until we have to deal with it again. Okay. So it sounds like you guys are willing to run the risk of, of a 21 year, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for, of, of going the next 21 years without having to call another single repairman. Now that's the hope, Bryn. Well, you know, I, I, I would hate to leave you in a position where you're upset with us because you don't have the proper system in place. How can I make sure that you never get as mad at us again as you have been throughout the day? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good question right there. Uh, I, I, I love the tactful silence there, by the way, very, very well played. You should see Nate squirming in his chair. Over here. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, I trust what you guys are doing here and I, I'm sure that, uh, you're installing a quality product and, you know, like I said, it's 
we haven't had use for a, a plumber out here for quite some time. I'm pretty handy myself, and I, I hope that will be the case here. All right, very good. No, I like I like that. And so I just I'll pause for a second, and and another thing I'll add in is sometimes, no matter what we say, a person will not be convinced in the moment. Okay. And I think that's that's another reality about negotiation that we don't necessarily want to accept, but it is in fact true. Like right now, there isn't anything you can say. Jesus Christ Himself come to me right now, and I am not going to be convinced. Right? Sometimes people get in that mode, and so if you're sniffing that in the moment, it's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. And so the next step would then be to drop in some sort of fear of loss. Or drop in, you know, a, a positive lasting impression, right? Those are kind of your two options. Positive lasting impression or fear of loss type of response. And then get the heck out of Dodge immediately. Mm. Essentially leaving them in a position where they're left with a good taste in their mouth. And they're going to be happy to call you if they do, in fact, run into a problem. Okay. And so, you know, clearly, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to step on your toes here, Mr. and Mrs. Client. You obviously feel good about tackling any issues with yourself. I just don't, you know, I want to make sure that you feel okay about reaching out to us in the event that you ever need our service. Yeah. Right. And now you've gone from, I'm not trying to sell you on anything that's going to cost you a dollar. I just want to make sure that you feel good about our company when we get out of here. Right. That's one thing. And so another piece you can come at it at is, you know, is it, is it completely ridiculous for me to say that, Sometimes machines break down and we just don't know why. No, no not at all, right? Not all, no, not all yeah. parts are, are guaranteed, right? That's how, that, that's how they come. And so, right, and then, then your follow-up with the fear of law. It sounds like you're willing to deal with that potential problem completely on your own next time around. Well, no, maybe, maybe not necessarily. You know, it's, uh, you know it'd be, if we had a real problem, Bringing an expert in that understands the equipment and who, who made it and how to fix it is, is probably not going to hurt us, right? But you leave that decision completely with them. So you got them to confirm, right? You know what? Sometimes things break down and there's just no explanation for it, you know? And, and so then the follow-up is, are you confident that you're going to be able to deal with that completely on your own and completely unassisted? Right. And then you drive it in the fear of like, wow, what if I don't have somebody I can lean on? What if I don't have a tenured relationship with a repair guy that I trust and now I'm really stuck? Or it's the holidays and I can't do this right now because I'm watching the grandkids and I'm, I'm doing this and I'm fixing the food and I can't work on the HVAC right now. Right. And you're getting them to consider all of those issues by the way you present the problem to them. And so you just present the problem, represent it in statement format. And just leave it with them. Like, right, you just boxed up this nice issue for them and just handed them the box without also handing them the solution as well. Let them consider it. Mm. And then get out the door. Because you got more you got more people to get to to repair their stuff. But, you know, that that's going to come up. And then it's just what is the scripted exit strategy when we know that we're not going anywhere with them? Yeah, very good. Now, Brandon, you, out of those three there, the three types, so the analyst, the assertive, and the accommodator, what, mm-hmm. what do you, which one is the one that most people trip up on? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Well, I'll answer it like this, kind of twofold. 
people are most worried about dealing with the assertive, the aggressive, cutthroat, get the money out of your pocket negotiator. Right. To your question, though, people get most tripped up on the analyst or the accommodator. And again, which one they get tripped up on is based on what their natural type is. So depending on their natural type is going to dictate which one. The technician. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, for example, um, an accommodator is someone that enjoys building a relationship. They enjoy playful banter. You know, they, they like the constant back and forth. Now, the analyst is someone that actually enjoys silence, they're data-driven, and they have no interest in building a human connection. Those two get at odds with one another a lot because an analyst will go silent on an accommodator because the analyst simply needs to think. It's like, oh, you gave me something to consider. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think about it. Give me a second to think. Now, the interpretation of that silence from the accommodator is, Oh my God, I did something wrong because now they're no longer talking to me. I presented them with something of great value and now they're just staring at me because I must have screwed up. Let me jump in and keep talking because clearly I need to fix whatever I I just broke. Mm. And it's easy to get at odds because an accommodator will only use silence to send someone a negative message, right? I, I like to build relationships as an accommodator I'm only going to go silent on you if I find our interactions completely fruitless and there is no point in me building a human connection with you. And that's really hard. That's a really hard place for me to get to. But I'll only use silence in that instance. An analyst is going to use silence every, every 30 seconds. They're going to want to go silent on you in a verbal conversation because they have to think. And those two types will get at odds and get tripped up over one another because of the misinterpreters misinterpretation of the exact same moment. Right. Okay. So Brandon, switching gears here a little bit, uh, in many situations we are coming into the home and, uh, you know, we are the, we're the hostage negotiator because the person on the Mm -hmm. other side of the table wants something. I want this fixed. I want this better. I want my lights back on. I want my thermostat working. I want my plumbing flowing, all these things like, they're issuing the demands, right? And so we're coming mm-hmm. in there and, and we're supposed to be the rescuer. But a, a fair amount of our business flips the other direction. We talked about this a little bit earlier where it goes, the shoe's on the other foot and we're coming in there and now we're with the ones with quote unquote demands saying, hey, Brandon, you know, uh, while I was here and we addressed this other issue, a new one came up, one that you were not aware of before and I'm going to need you to fix it. And now they, they sort of take on the opposite role at, that they were in at the beginning. And where do we go from there? Great question. Great question. So some of that, um, there, there, well, there's, okay, uh, there's two ways to go. In the moment, you, you're, you're dealing with it. We talked a little bit about the accusations audit earlier and that I am going to present you with problems that you were not prepared for. And I'd imagine that you were going to be very upset with me as a result. Now, that's a way to approach it in the moment. Now, what's great about the expertise that you guys have and the experience that you've been through, you know that there's a possibility that that conversation may be coming down the line. And so you actually negotiate that into the process ahead of time, namely, you know, or to the tune of, 
right on the back end of when you've come in the door. And so something to the effect of if we find other issues that we know are going to be long-term problems for you while we're here, do you want us to keep those issues to ourselves? Yeah, that's actually a question that we, we do train here. And, and the obvious answer from the client is going to be, well, no, I'd sure like to know about that. But it also, as a homeowner, kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety, meaning like, oh, man, what's he going to go find now? So exactly what you just said is how you lead into that question. This is going to give you anxiety as a homeowner. And right. you're going to think, you're going to, it's going to make you feel like that we're on a crazy witch hunt to discover problems that don't actually exist. Again, taking away their power with that, that audit. Exactly. Got to take away the emotional uh, construct that is getting in the way of them being able to actually think all the way around the issue. Right. And so homeowner, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to think we're on a witch hunt. Um, right. It's, 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 it's going to seem like an additional burden. Silence. Right. This is one of the places where you really got to let them sit in the silence. Right. Let them think. And then it's like, well, OK, Nate, um, where are you going with this? If we happen to discover an an issue that's going to cause you problems long term while we're here. Would you prefer that we kept that issue to ourselves? Right. And that's how you set that up. No, I prefer that we know about it. And now, at the very least, they're not completely surprised by it when you bring it up. And what else is even great is a secondary benefit to this. If you're in a place where you just so happen not to find any additional problems, you have now just become the hero of their day. So it's a great setup because it's a segue to the necessary conversation if you do find something and they're no longer surprised when you bring it up. And then if you don't find something, you would just became Superman. Yeah. Everything's in great work and order, right? This is all fantastic. Oh my God, we're so glad you guys are here. Right. And now they're, they're you got the standing ovation as you're, as you're walking out the door. Right. Massive sigh of relief. But if you do bring a whole bunch of things to the table and say, oh man, Brandon, we got some issues here. We got to take care of. Didn't you just prove the point that you went on the witch hunt and you found it? You found the witch? No. And it's easy, it's easy to go in that direction simply because we mentioned it in the accusations audit. It takes the power away. That, and that's, that's one of the really counterintuitive things about tactical empathy is we always worry about making a negative issue worse by verbalizing a negative issue. And that's not actually how the human brain interprets that emotionally. Negative issues get worse in one of two instances. When they're completely ignored, hence the whole addressing the elephant in the room, why that's such a big deal. Because when they're ignored, it's like, I can't believe, how could you not see this, right? I'm wasting my time. That exacerbates them. And the other thing that exacerbates them is when they're denied. And the natural tendency when we address negatives in in our world is to deny them. Look, I don't want you to think that we're going on a witch hunt. That's a denial. Versus 
you are going to feel like we have gone on a witch hunt. That is directly addressing it. And so it's a very small tweak, but it makes all the difference in the world. Say, going back, you know, Richard Nixon, I am not a crook, right? And then he got killed over, yes, you are a crook, because he denied the fact that he looked like a crook. I guarantee you that Nick, the history of Nixon would be different if he was smart enough to step up in front of the podium before he left the presidency and said, this makes me look like a crook to the American people. Mm. I guarantee you his story would have been written differently. And it's all because of that two millimeter tweak of how we actually address the negative. Can you give us an example, not necessarily in the sales world, but more in the actual like, okay, we have people and people are potentially going to get hurt in a scenario here where you would have the boldness to actually call something out that would seem counterintuitive. To answer your question about um, things you would say that would be very counterintuitive in a situation like that, when I first heard this, it blew me away. But you're on the phone with someone that's thinking about killing themselves or specifically themselves, but they, they've, they've, they've got other people held captive. And to actually say to them, are you thinking about killing yourself? Mm. That's something that even now I, I struggle with, right? I get the concept. I've never been in a position where I've had to say that to someone on the phone. I've, I've said it contextually in a business context, right? Are you thinking about walking away? Are you seriously considering that this is a bad move for you, right? It's along the same context, but the emotional components aren't as high. But yeah, in a situation like that, saying to someone, are you thinking about killing yourself? And you would imagine that the next thing you'd hear is a gunshot on the other end of the phone line because they just blew their brains out. Right. And the exact opposite happens to be true. You say that to them on a the phone and it makes them realize the gravity of the situation they're in and makes them genuinely, genuinely consider the loss of their life and how it might affect others in their environment. And it has a tendency to bring people around. It's really interesting how that works. They're like, nah, you know, I'm, Really appreciate everything you're talking through today, Brian. You know, no, nah, you know, maybe I was earlier, but not so much now. And that's a direct question, elephant in the room, that needs to be uh, um, brought up in that type of fashion. And and that's the way it's done. Even at a much more micro level, it makes a lot of sense. Like you said, the elephant in the room, because it's like a when you when you're on the on the receiving end, and you feel like this person knows this or is thinking this or is going to do this and is pretending it's not going to happen. The, the balloon inside you is swelling and swelling and swelling. And as soon as you bring it up, I mean, it, I've seen this a hundred times in my own presentations, it's like a poop and it deflates that balloon and the tension leaves the room. And now we can talk on an adult adult level. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it, right? It's like building mass internally or in someone's subconscious and and we get afraid of trying to pop that thing because there's going to be a big explosion as a result of popping it and actually what you do is you create a pinhole size um area for the air and all the frustration to be released it's yeah. really interesting but that's a, that's a great way to put it so I'm, um, we, we usually do a little rapid fire questions where we have a little fun with the guests and I want to save a couple minutes for that um before we do you, uh, you, where, where can our guests reach you? Where can, where can our, I'm sorry, where can our listeners reach you? Where can they find the Black Swan Group and Brandon Voss? Yeah, yeah. So, the best place is our website, blackswanlimited.com. That's blackswanltd, 
Um, our free newsletter that comes out every Tuesday is one of our best resources. And it's also one of our biggest marketing pieces for all the new stuff and, and different classes that we do. Um, but specifically the blog, our focus is how do we have short, digestible, usable pieces of content that you can read every Tuesday morning and use for the rest of the week. That's really the, the area that we came from the, uh, the newsletter on called The Edge. So get signed up for that. That'll, that'll be a huge help. I'm on, I'm on social media as well. I don't, I don't dive in deeply. I could probably put a lot more attention on my social media accounts, but I'm uh, QBCV on Instagram and I'm BVOS1 on Twitter. You know, feel, feel free to reach out to me. But another really big resource we have, we have a group on LinkedIn that's free called the Black Swan Ling. And a lot of people are getting a lot of good reps in and building their own negotiation networks for themselves. And then we have a, uh, another group on Facebook called Next Level Negotiators, which is subscription-based. And uh, we are involved directly with that group. We answer questions from our instructors, and we do monthly half-hour training sessions for the Next Level Negotiators group. So those, those three things, those two groups in our, in our negotiation edge every Tuesday, great way to get your feet wet with the Black Swan group. Perfect. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's, let's get into a couple of quick questions, and we'll, we'll let you go. Um, we're all here, th those of us who know you are, are impressed by the fact that you are the son of a very famous, at this point, very, very famous, um, successful FBI hostage negotiator and um, don't, really, don't really rest on your laurels. You, you are the president of the Black Swan Group and a, and a seemingly very hard worker. And for one, we want to give you kudos for that. But number two, we wanted to ask the question. Right here. How difficult was it for you as a teenager to get over on said FBI hostage negotiator father? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was very difficult, right? I think that that's probably that probably comes as no surprise to anyone. And and plus, I like a lot of like a lot of young kids, um, especially when they spend time with their dad. I grew up in a dictatorship, but I really didn't have much of an opinion most of the time, anyway. But <laughs> what I will say. I learned early on that the classic approaches of using threats or ultimatums as a way to gain leverage or um, uh, trying to elongate deadlines as a way to influence decisions, that was something that I got through at a very early age because my father was very well versed in that stuff as a hostage negotiator. So he darn sure was not going to tolerate it from me. And so I started to find other avenues of success than those two alleyways at a, at a very early age. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably uh, made you a much better negotiator in your teen and early 20 years, I'm guessing. <laughs> I think in the long run, it probably worked out. Yeah, yeah in the short term, it well. was tough. <laughs> you probably had plenty of opinions as a kid, but not a vote. Would that be more yeah, exactly? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> then number two, and we'll we'll get you out of here. Uh, your dad, Chris Voss, has a fantastic book out. Um, I'm actually sitting, sorry, sitting here holding a copy of it in my hand. Um, never split the difference. And then Derek Gaunt, one of your one of your team, has ego authority failure. My question is, when is Brandon coming out with that book? Ah, yeah, that's, um, you know what, the, the, we, I've been thinking about a book for probably about three years now, and I'm not ready to write it yet. 
you know. So I, I think it's, it's probably going to be at least two years before Brandon Voss's book comes out. But I will admit, Chris and I, and another business partner, have entertained the idea of, of you know, the three of us authoring a book together about tactical empathy. So that'll probably be the next thing that the public sees on the on the horizon at some point. Awesome. Oh, then we got to get you three on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we would love that. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, hey, one last question for you, Brandon. Uh, we always like to know what our what our guests are listening to or reading, uh, so we can also check that out. What's uh, what's on your audio books right now or in your actual library? Yeah. So uh, two things. Anything anything Stuart Diamond has put out ever podcast books articles. I, I'm a big fan of that guy. Uh, Warren Professor of Negotiation has got a great feel for interpersonal human connection. And it really comes through in what he says and what he writes. So anything Stuart Diamond. And then interestingly enough, you know, Chris and I have been diving much deeper into uh, neuroscience and how neurochemicals affect thought process and influence and change and things of that nature. And so Andrew Huberman is another guy, another expert in, the, in kind of that, that neuroscience field that we've been paying attention to lately. And so listening to a lot of his podcasts and what he has to say on the topic. So yeah, Andrew Huberman, Stuart Diamond, definitely the top of the list. These things. Very cool. Well, Brandon, president of the Black Swan Group, it has been a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk to us and our listeners about the home services industry. It has been fantastic. Gentlemen, I've had a lot of fun with you today. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brandon. We'll look forward to that book. You keep on doing what you're doing. Thanks so much. All right. Hey, hope you enjoyed that amazing podcast. It was really a pleasure to have Brandon on and all of his expertise. Uh, just so many applicable points there to what it is to be in the home services industry and negotiating not only with a client who's upset and frustrated, but also with one that you have the potential to make upset and frustrated by something that you're going to bring to their attention. Make sure you go back and listen to this one a couple times. A lot of great stuff there. Check out Brandon and all of his colleagues on social media and various other sites there that he mentioned. And we hope that this has been encouraging to you. Like we always talk about, we want to be challenging you to get better, to move to that next level, and to wake up every single morning and choose to waste no day.